Good morning. Welcome to worship here at Springfield Church of the Brethren. It is Sunday, January the 2nd. Our scripture today actually picks up right after the Nativity story. It is in Luke chapter 2, verses 22 through 44. If you wish to follow along in your uh, pew Bible, it is on page 725. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him, the baby Jesus, to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord. A pair of doves, or two pigeons. There was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It was revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went to the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to him, for that was the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which have been, have been prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The, father, the child's father and mother were marveled at what he was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, The child is destined to cause the falling and the rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against. So the thoughts of the many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There is also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old after she had lived uh, with her husband for seven years after her marriage, and was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Mary and Joseph had done as been required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Blessed is the word. Amen. If you'll join in the first and third verses of Joyful, Joyful, We Adore Thee. We live in the past, both figuratively and literally. I mean, I know I am shaped by the sum of my past experiences, but we also literally live in the past, about 80 milliseconds. Not a big amount of time. It's slightly more than a 16th of a second. Of course, that can make a huge difference in lots of things like finances. 
I look back at the person who, does, who deals with stocks, and a sixteenth of a second is a lot of time, right? I have the contacts. I can't see that well, actually. Yes, okay. They will settle about three days from now. I probably should avoid driving at night. We'll see. Anyway, so what it means is whenever you hear, smell, touch, see, taste, anything, it takes a certain amount of time for your brain to process. So you're all seeing me up here and hearing me. But it takes an amount of time for the compression waves forming in my larynx to get out of my mouth to be picked up by the microphone or picked up by you all directly. And then for those compression waves to hit your ears, be directed into your inner ear where it is um, sounded off of your inner ear, off your eardrum, and into the processing part, the little hairs inside that actually pick up sound, that vibrate. Then that information is sent on into the brain, where your brain takes that and combines it with the image coming in through the eyes and processes it together so it seems like the sound of my voice is coming out of my mouth, despite the fact you might be hearing it from the microphone. And then your brain is doing a whole lot of trickery, going, okay, he's roughly this shape. Is he a person or is he a tiger? No, he's not a tiger. Okay, is he walking? He's walking. He's moving side to side. Does everything seem to match up? Everything seems to match up. Is he a danger? No. What is he saying? All this is going on. And it takes roughly 80 milliseconds. So I am slightly ahead of everything you are now hearing. And I have to wait extra long to hear if there's anyone laughs because I'm slightly behind any of your reactions, which of course take even longer because your brain has to send that information back out to the various parts of your body. On top of that, we have to compare it to everything we know in the past. When you see my face, because many of you have seen my face before, your brain is picking up who I am and reading my expression and trying to figure out, am I sad, am I happy, am I jumping around like I usually do when I talk? Your brain is processing all of that, comparing it to the past experience. If all of a sudden my face were to change right now, it would really throw off your brain because your brain wouldn't know what's happening. First off, we don't see people change their faces in front of us unless it's a movie. And second of all, it would throw off all the bits of our brain that recognize faces for what they are. It takes us time to learn change. It takes us time to realize information and to process and to think about it and then to integrate it. Arguably, this is the way that the book of Mark is set up. Mark, of course, is the shortest book. Mark does not take any time to tell you anything about Jesus other than he opens up with, this is the gospel about Jesus the Christ. And then he goes straight into Isaiah, calling forward to John, you know, make way straight the path, the Lord is coming. And then you have John appear, and then Jesus appears, and then Jesus starts. That's, that's like the first ten verses of Mark in a nutshell. It's quick. 
Because Mark is going to then take eight chapters to get you to understand something. The, the highlight in Mark isn't at the end of Mark. The highlight in Mark is in chapter 8. Because that's where he goes to the disciples and says, Who do you say I am? And they say, well, Peter says, You are the Messiah. And Jesus says, Yeah, don't tell anyone. Don't. Which leads us, you know, to remember a couple weeks ago, we decided that, or we talked about the fact that calling someone a Messiah was an inherently dangerous thing for them. That would get you killed. Secondly, Peter did a horrible job not telling anyone. Because obviously we know. Not only do we know, we know that Mark was told not to tell. Oh, Mark. I mean, Peter. That's the high point of Mark. Because Mark, Mark took those eight chapters to make sure you understood. He told you about how Jesus heals people. He told you about how Jesus performs miracles. He feeds the four and the five thousand. He heals people. He casts out demons. He brings a little girl back from death. If I had to guess, and this is just a guesstimation, Peter actually knew well before Jesus asked him, who do you say I am? I, I'm going to guess that when he brings someone back from the dead, that's a pretty good indication that this person might be a Messiah. Just a guess. But the writer of Mark knows you need time to understand because Jesus is an entity unlike anything else you have ever experienced. Jesus isn't just another rabbi. Jesus is something beyond that, something that you have never seen and your brain cannot handle that. So I need to prove it to you by showing you all the evidence first and then making the claim. Of course, this isn't the case always. In fact, it's not even the case always for our brains. Our brains can figure out things faster than 80 milliseconds. It's called reflexes. Well, okay, it's not really our brain figuring it out. It's our brain reacting in less than 80 milliseconds. So a reflex skips the brain process. Instead of, you know, it going, you know, if you tap my knee in just the right place, it doesn't send the information all the way up to my brain, and my brain says, kick. No. It hits my central nervous system, my spine and my, um, okay, the brain stem. It's the part of the brain right back here. It handles breathing and heart rhythms and all that fun stuff. And it's the one that sends the information back, and it can do it faster. For instance, the startle reflex. Have any of you ever been startled by a loud sound and jumped in the air and then thought, I jumped before I even heard the sound? Have you ever experienced that? I see a couple nods. Okay, here's why. The process by which you hear a loud sound and you jump, it goes into your ears and then part of it goes back to your brainstem. Your brainstem reacts within 30 to 50 milliseconds. So we're talking roughly half the amount of time. And it does it so fast and then sends information to your neck and your head. And then if, the farther down your body it goes, the longer it takes for that information to go. So about the time 
that your brain has registered that this loud sound has happened is about the time that you are getting into your jump. So your brain is also now registering that you're jumping. And that is why it seems like you jumped before you heard the noise, because your brain is processing more slowly than your body is reacting to it. That happens in the Bible too. There are some who don't have to take the time to process. They are given that extra little in where they reflexively know who Jesus is. Of course, the most obvious is Mary and Joseph. The answer to the question, Mary, did you know? Yes, yes, she did. The song is beautiful, don't get me wrong. It's one of my favorite songs for Christmas. But the answer to the question is yes, Mary knew. Also, Mary, did you know? doesn't go anywhere as far as what Mary knew. Mary knew that Jesus was going to do all those things, and she also knew that Jesus was going to be like a radical, butt-kicking man that he ended up also being. Mary knew. Joseph knew. The, uh, the shepherds knew. But there was something in there in all cases. In all cases, they knew because someone came and told them whether it was Joseph dreaming the angel or Mary or the shepherds getting an actual visit, when an angel comes and tells you this is the Messiah or, you know, in the case of the shepherds, a whole bunch of them are floating in the sky singing at you, I think you would get the point. It would be as obvious to Peter who would understand Jesus is the Messiah after bringing someone back from the dead. So, lost my train of thought there. Um, so we have those who, who are given that kind of, you know, instant around. Then you have the, the wise men. They don't really count. First off, they don't think that Jesus is the Messiah. They think Jesus is the king of the Jews. They think Jesus is a political figure who will make Israel rise again, but not in the terms that everyone else understands Messiah. So they don't really count. <laughs> The first people, though, who just recognize Jesus for who Jesus is because they aren't told, necessarily. They get a feeling. They, they are connected with the Holy Spirit. Are two people who have spent a lifetime working on that relationship with God. We don't really know a lot about Simeon or Anna. And I'll say I will probably switch between saying Anna and Anna because my daughter loves Frozen, and that's Anna, and she corrects me every single time I say it. So now my brain just goes back and forth between the two. So we don't know much about either of them, except that they're both very devout. And probably neither of them have ever been in the inner sanctums of, of the temple. I mean, Anna couldn't have because she was a woman. And as far as we are aware, Simeon is not a priest. So he's allowed only so far in. But they have spent a lifetime praying and worshiping. They have spent a lifetime working on that relationship with God. So Mary and Joseph show up. If, if you had a child in ancient Judaism, you, especially the firstborn, the firstborn was dedicated to God. Any kind of set apart anything, you, you were God's child. For the most part, that didn't make a big difference in your life, but that was tradition and that was what was asked. So 
Just as it was tradition, Mary and Joseph bring the baby Jesus for the dedication, where they would bring a dove or two young pigeons for the sacrifice, and they would have come into an area of absolute chaos. Um, I will let you know, I don't think there's anyone upstairs today, but you're welcome to use it. <laughs> oh, is it going to be? Never mind. Um, Yeah, absolute chaos. So this is the second temple, but this is the Herod's temple. Herod the Great had rebuilt the temple and had made it larger. He built up these huge retaining walls and filled it with earth so that the whole temple mount was humongous now and flat. In fact, uh, if you ever get a chance to visit the Holy Land, the Western Wall is part of Herod's walls that he built. And if you ever get a chance to go see the... Uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls, you can touch those stones. They bring them here to the U.S. in the Dead Sea Scroll exhibit. They're awesome to think you can touch stones that Jesus walked on. I think that's cool. Anyway, but when he made it, he made it huge. He built extra courts around it. He built an area called the Stoa, a huge, long building that bordered one side that was filled with merchants and government officials. It was a place of trade and of government. That wasn't so much his choice. He was kind of told to do that by the Romans, but he did it. And then the, the court of the Gentiles, the huge space around the outside of the temple, was filled with more merchants and filled with men and women going in and out of Jerusalem because one of the gates was there and there would be camels and horses and donkeys bringing in goods from, from the farther east and moving things from the west. It was a place of noise and confusion. And yet, out of all of that, I, I mean, I, I just picture in my mind if you've ever gone to the mall the last couple days before Christmas or in any big box store on like Black Friday. All things I try hard to avoid. I'm usually pretty good at it. But you've gone in there before, not this last year, I know, but, and you know how loud and confusing, and it would be easy to pass someone you know. And yet, and yet Simeon picks them out. We are told that he is informed by the Holy Spirit. That's not an angel. There's a big difference in the Bible between a Holy Spirit talking to you and an angel talking to you. An angel can talk to you whenever the angel wants, whenever they're sent, and you get the message. You do not miss angels in the Bible. The word angel in Greek is messenger. They are someone who gets up in your face and lets you know what's going on. But the Holy Spirit is something very different. The Holy Spirit is quiet. The Holy Spirit is something that you don't just receive. Not until Pentecost happens. The Holy Spirit is something you have to work on. You have to learn to quiet your heart. You have to learn to pray, to listen, to really listen and pay attention. But Simeon hears. Simeon is aware. Simeon sees this young woman and man carrying a baby. And mind you, 
every baby born in Judea of Jewish families is coming through. They can do it on basically any day except the Sabbath. They're all coming in and out every single day, bringing their pigeons and doves as part of the sacrifice. But he manages to see that this one is different. He can listen to that spirit inside his heart and realize there's something more going on, and he approaches. And he, in many ways, he, he looks back to that first promise, the promise given to Abraham and the promise reiterated in Exodus. There is a promise that the salvation of Israel and the salvation to the world will be coming through here. It's not just to Israel, but it's to everyone. And so he asks for the baby, he holds the baby, and he blesses the baby. He has spent so much time waiting, and now he gets to see. Now, Anna, or Anna, is a bit of a mystery. If Simeon was a small mystery, Anna is a huge mystery. We, we know more about her. We know that she's the daughter of a guy named Penuel, uh, and that, that she's a prophetess, or prophet, and that she's 84. We're pretty sure she's 84. The way it's written, she could be 84, or she could be like 102. We're not sure. It's kind of a weird way to phrase. But we're 84 in an era when most people would get to 60, and that would be considered doing pretty good. 84 is amazing. She has spent... Every day, pretty much, since her husband died, living there in the court of the women. Praying and fasting and concentrating on God. And she looks out and she sees Simeon. And maybe they knew each other. I mean, they're both living at the temple, basically. Neither of them are allowed to go in any further, but they're living there. And they, she sees Simeon blessing this little baby, and she comes up and she too blesses him. Not only that, but she reminds them that this child is going to change everything in their world. Just like Mary had pronounced during the Magnificat, this was a child who was going to bring down the powerful and raise up the weak. This was a child who would bring salvation like no one expected. We're probably a little closer than the disciples. We're closer, I'm sorry, let me rephrase that. We are closer to Simeon and Anna than we are closer to the disciples. Because unlike the audience that Mark wrote for, because Mark was writing for an audience who didn't really know Jesus. We know Jesus. I mean, most of you have been going to church for more than a decade at least, right? A couple little of exceptions. But most of you have been going to a church for at least a decade or so. This is not the first time you've heard of Simeon and Anna. This was not the first Christmas you heard the Jesus being born. It was not the first nativity. This will not be your first Easter. This is all old information. You already know who Christ is, and you know that he is the Messiah. 
of course, you have choice as to whether you're going to celebrate like them or not. It takes time. It takes time for us to process the world around us. It takes time for us to learn and to change. But they will come. We can learn from Simeon and Anna and concentrate on our relationship with God so that when things do happen, we recognize them for what they are. That we don't have to be like Peter who waits for Jesus to say, who am I? By the way, you saw everything I did, right? I mean, it's the same thing. Why, why is, have you ever considered, why is Jesus so annoyed at Peter and the other disciples when they wake him up when there's a storm happening on the boat? Other than the fact that maybe Jesus was a grumpy waker-upper. I can, I, can, I can live with that because I'm a grumpy waker-upper. Let me wake up at my own pace, people. Yeah, Lauren, Lauren knows that she has to wake me up to go take care of something in the middle of the night with Gracie. She's got about a 50-50 chance of me being a grouch. I've gotten better. It used to be 85% chance grouch. Child will do that to you. Anyway. But when we look at the story, what happens immediately before Jesus fed a multitude of people? I mean, he performed a miracle in which he took just a couple loaves and a couple fishes and fed 5,000 people. And yet they are freaking out because they are stuck in a storm. They haven't learned the lesson yet. They think this storm can take them out. We have a choice. We have a choice to work on that relationship with God so we recognize faster than they did. I actually have a bit of a physics trick. Though it's been pretty bent up. Everyone know what this is? Slinky, slinky. Actually, I grew up uh, very close to where the Slinky headquarters used to be in uh, Hollidaysburg, Pennsylvania. I know where the, the, the man who invented the Slinky has his own interesting story and history. Um, but he eventually left his wife and went and disappeared into the, into the jungle. And she built a beautiful large house with all the money she made after he left. But Slinkies are, are really interesting toys especially when it comes to physics, because it shows us, among other things, that it takes time even for matter to learn what has happened. And when I see if we can do this, I didn't test it this morning. Hmm. See how high I can safely get here. There we go. I put a foot there. There we go. Now, if this works correctly, after it stops moving, it takes time for the bottom of the slinky to learn that the top has been let go. Kind of waiting for it to stop moving so much. And so when I let go, if you watch the bottom, it will actually float in midair for just a moment until it realizes it's been let go of. It all has to do with physics and compression, but it's interesting. Here we go. Watch the bottom. Three, two, one. 
I don't know what in my life has been let go above. Because I know I'm free floating just like the bottom of that slinky, waiting for the compression wave to come down and hit me. Because just like the slinky, I'm always living slightly in the past, not knowing what the future, which has already happened, is bringing. The best way that we can do that is to keep our hearts open to the Holy Spirit and to keep our arms open to God as we go into this new year because we don't know what's coming. And so I invite you that every time now you think of a slinky, and I hope that I got that song stuck in your head today, um, that you keep your heart open to whatever God is going to do. To keep your heart open to whatever strange happenings will happen. To keep your heart open because the Messiah isn't coming in marching at the head of an army. The Messiah is being brought in by a young woman and her husband who are just going about their daily business. Maybe we can see and recognize that it's happening. Thank you. Keep yourself open. Because God is always talking to us. All we have to do is open our ears and accept that for just a moment, the slinky hangs in the air completely unsupported. Who knows what else will happen? Amen.